0: Well, good morning. It really, really is lovely uh, to be here with you, though I was sitting there I thinking that when Adrian said that uh, you guys are the ugly disciples, I kind of thought, does that make me the ugly sister, one of the ugly sisters? Um, and that's as funny as it gets, because my children tell me, Mommy, don't try to be funny, because it doesn't work. Nobody laughs. So my, my brief this morning, when I came here a few weeks ago and met Adrian here in the church, and he walked me round and he told me about the jumper. And his brief to me was, he says, look, tell us a little bit about yourself and talk to us about Jesus. So firstly, and very briefly, if we put up the, I think it's the second slide, Alan. That, yes, this, this is me, this is my clan. Um, I am married to Sydney, um, have been married to him for 20 years, have known him since I was 12, so there has been a lot of water under the bridge, shall we say. I have two sons, uh, Michael and Isaac, who are 20 and 19, and then we have a little surprise package. We have Emma, who is 10. And, uh, and we have two dogs. This is Max and, and Dudley. And please don't be fooled by this picture. This is Christmas Day, and this is when everybody has been warned, don't spoil Christmas or your mother will go boogily, because we are not always like that. We um, definitely know how to wind each other up. My background, I nearly hate to say this, because I don't want anybody to drop, and then you'll expect to know that I know what to do. It's been a long time. I was a nurse for 20 years. So for 10 of those years, I uh, was what you would call a real nurse. I worked on the wards. I worked in the Ulster and worked in the down and down Patrick. And then for the last 10 years, I worked in administration and in project management. And I became one of those nurses with a clipboard that nobody wanted to talk to. And that possibly is part of the story. It's a long story as to how I um, got to this point, and I'm not going to go into it, into it all this morning. But just to say that when this was all stirring in me, my plan was always to, you know, retire and then just go to my local rector and say, "Right, where do you want me?" Um, and then my husband one day said to me, he "says, I think you need, I think you need to look into this now." Um, and so when you start to apply, you have a whole lot of application uh, forms to fill in and you have to meet with the bishop. And, but I was out walking the dog one day and I was listening to a sermon and it was a sermon on, on Ezekiel. And I don't know for why, but whatever was said in that sermon as I was walking the dog, I said, you know, Lord, could it be, could it possibly be that I could spend the rest of my life showing you off? So I went through the application process, and then you end up in what is called Selection Conference, which is where it's all Ireland, where we all come together in some retreat center. And it's a little bit like, um, you know the bit on The Apprentice, where they go for their interviews, and they go in and out of rooms, and they're interviewed by different people, and they're grilled. Well, that's what a selection conference was a bit like. There we are, all terrified and and scared. And and I went into a room, and I was interviewed by a lovely old uh, Church of Ireland gentleman and a rector. And they said to me, Elaine, if you had one sermon, if you had one last sermon to preach, what would it be? Now, at this stage, I hadn't even preached a sermon, never mind my last sermon. And what I said to them was, I said, well, I would preach Jesus. I would say, look at him. Don't look at me. And then I said, don't even look at the church. And at this point, the little old Church of Ireland gentleman like looked at me and raised an eyebrow. And I kind of thought, oh dear, well, have started, so we finish. And I said, look at Jesus. Look at his magnificence, his majesty, his splendor. And tell me, tell me how you can refuse him. Tell me how you can be indifferent to him. Tell me how you can turn your back and walk away from him. And lo and behold, I now I find myself as a deacon, so I did go through Selection Conference, and uh, I'm now at, at this stage. And this is one of these mornings where I get to do what I said in uh, that interview because we are now going to read about Jesus's magnificence and his splendor and his brilliance. So we're going to turn to uh, the story of the transfiguration in Luke's gospel. And I think it might be coming up on the screen. Yeah, there we go. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if we bring up the second to the third slide now, Alan, it'll be, yes. So, These are, these are two, two guys that I read and, and listen to. So the first one is a guy called uh, Dr. Michael Heiser. And he has a habit of saying, if it's weird, it's important. And then there's the, 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 the guy below is a guy called Tom Holland. Now, he's an historian. Um, he's not a Christian, but he's absolutely fascinated with the influence that Christianity has had on the West. And he's, he's written this very big, thick book, which I bought, but I have only managed to get through the first couple of chapters of it. Um, but I listened to him on YouTube over lockdown. And what he was saying was, he says, I don't want the the church to preach health and safety. I don't want the church just to concern itself with social issues. He says, I want the church to preach the weird stuff. And really, when you think of our passage this morning, it doesn't really get much weirder than this. Because here we have four men who go up a mountain, And then one of them changes. One of them becomes blindingly bright, almost defying description. And then out of nowhere, two other men appear. And it's not just that these two other men who appeared lived centuries ago. They themselves actually lived at least 500 years apart. And here they are talking like old acquaintances. And then just when you think it can't get any weirder, a cloud, a bright cloud, appears and envelops them. And then a voice comes from the cloud. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now there's a lot of things going on in that passage. It's a very, very dense passage. and when I was reading it, reading it, I could have gone in all sorts of directions with it, but what I feel was on my heart, and what I want to do this morning, if we bring up the next slide, is just to ask two questions. And the first question is, what were they talking about? And the second question is, what is the connection? between all the characters involved? What do all the characters in this scene, Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, what do they all have in common? But to get us started, if we go to the next slide, there's some pictures on the next slide, Um, I want you to, to, to kind of frame this picture. I want you to imagine yourself that you're on a plane, you know, like when you're on a plane and it, and it, and it takes off and, and you're kind of, you're suspended, aren't you? You've left this world um, and you're suspended between two worlds, between two different atmospheres. Because I think in this passage, we are suspended. We're suspended between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're suspended between the material world and the spiritual world and we are suspended between the temporal and the eternal between this world and the next and I think that this, this passage is the moment in Luke's gospel where the fasten your seatbelts sign comes on because this is the moment we read in a, further on in a, within the chapter that this is when Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. This is the moment um, when Jesus starts his descent down into the crucifixion. Because just before this event, this is where Jesus predicts his death. He knows what is coming, he knows what awaits him. And he does the most natural thing for him he goes up a mountain to talk to his father. So the question then is, what were they talking about? Because I I even think, what is the power of prayer that Jesus could pray and summon Moses and Elijah? But it says in verse 31, Moses and Elijah appeared in glory, speaking of his departure, which was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. Now the interesting thing here, and the thing that I latched onto was the word, departure. Because in the Greek, now not that I know Greek, please do not be impressed. I read this in a book, right? The word uh, departure in Greek is exodus. They were speaking about his exodus. And I wonder, does does that word start the cogs turning in your brain? Where have I heard exodus before? And there's Moses right beside him. Moses knows about an exodus. Didn't Moses take on all the dark powers behind Pharaoh and lead the children out of Egypt and in so doing birthed the nation of God's chosen people in order to represent God to the world? And so in this moment, Jesus is preparing for his exodus where he is going to crush Satan, where he is going to fling wide the gates of heaven that all who want to may enter in. And in so doing, births the church. We who are a priesthood, a royal priesthood, who are here to represent God to the world. And then, as we read on in scripture, let's go forward, let's go right to the end. We read of another Exodus. Because we read in chapter 15 of Revelation, and it talks of where the unleashing, there will be the unleashing of the seven last plagues. And then in chapter 18, it says that a voice proclaims, Come out from her, my people, that you do not take part in her sins so that you do not share in her plagues. This is another exodus. This exodus is ever so slightly different because where in the previous two exoduses we will represent uh, God to the world. Here there will be a gathering of every nation, every tribe, every tongue under heaven and we will represent the world, to our God. And when you think of it this way, when you take that one word, Exodus, you see that that within Scripture, this is all a continuum of one big story. There was an Exodus in the Old Testament. There was an Exodus in the New Testament. And there will be a final Exodus at the end of time. And I think when you know that, you have this sense that God has got this. You know, he knows all about Putin. He knows all about the pandemic. There are no surprises for God. And he knows whatever else is coming our way. And the thing is that when you read this and you know this and you see this big story, you can say to yourself, he's done it before and he'll do it again. And that's why joining the dots in scripture assures us of his control. So if you bring up the next slide then, because I think you could put a caption on this um, picture of the transfiguration, which is back to the future. It's One of those weird sayings that, that plays with your brain. But this is the one time where this actually makes sense. And in fact, it's actually a good way to describe how we should approach the whole Bible. We go back to see into the future. We look backwards to see forwards. And that knowing our Old Testament then makes sense of the New Testament and beyond. We see God's overarching sovereign power and authority in all the layers of the big story. Because you see, when we talk about the authority of Scripture, you know, what, what do you mean when you say the authority of Scripture? We're not necessarily talking about the authority that this word has over us. We're actually talking about the words, the words of, shall we call it, powered performance. In that God speaks. And it is so. And then in that sense, when we, when we read scripture, it's almost like, you know, we've been permitted to listen in. To listen in on its declarations. To listen in on what is going to happen. And then when we listen in, we hear the invitation. The invitation for us to take our place and play our part in God's unfolding, unfinished drama. Now, it's our choice. It's not foisted on us. It's not forced upon us. We can decide either to move with the rhythm of Scripture or we can choose to fight against it. And when you fight against it, I heard Billy Graham say this one night and I thought, Oh my goodness. When you fight against it, that means that you become an enemy of God. Because whatever we choose, it will come to pass. As it is written, the drama will conclude as planned. But in order, and that's why I've got this picture of the the Bible with the dust on it and read me, in order to know We need to read it so as we can know the plot, so that we can know our lines. And I'm not saying that this is easy. It requires discipline and it requires effort. And we can't live, as I've heard somebody say, on Bible McNuggets. You know, we can't live, and I have done it. I've read my daily notes where it gives you one verse and really, you're trying to skip through that verse because you want to get to the nice bit that somebody has written that makes you feel good, you know, because it's always positive. I've done that too. But what we need to do is to look at the overarching story of Scripture, where this passage is one of those pivot, pivot passages. Because when we read Scripture like that, then we don't skip over the weird stuff the weird stuff actually begins to make sense. And then God's wisdom, his plan, the way he layers it, the way he moves things, it actually begins to thrill us. And when the Bible thrills us, we then live with a knowledge, we live with joy, and we live with expectation. And this then brings us to the second question that I want want to ask. What is it that all these characters have in common? When you look at their stories in scripture, how do we connect the dots? What does that mean, and what does that mean for us? So if we bring up the next slide, Alan, there, it says, and I, I want to suggest to you that all these people in this story Either they had been in a dark valley or they were about to face one. And that we know that when we're in that dark valley, that dark valley of fear, that it's only a vision of glory that will sustain us. It's only that vision of Jesus, that transfigured vision of our, our captain, our Lord, that will see us, see us through. And you look at these characters. So there's Moses. And when Moses was up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, remember what the Israelites were doing down below? They were making a golden calf, and they were worshiping it. And Moses comes down the mountain, and he breaks the Ten Commandments. And The wheels of this Exodus adventure really start to come off the wagon. And God says, I'm going to annihilate them. And he says, Moses, I'll make a new nation out of you. But Moses pleads to God for these people. But then as the the children of Israel move on, Moses needs proof. Moses needs proof that God hasn't deserted them. And what is he asking for? He He says, show me, show me your glory. And then so Moses goes back up the mountain again. And back up the mountain when Moses is there, the words tell us that the cloud descended and that God stood with Moses. And that when he came back down the mountain, his face was shining so much that they had to put a veil over it. But it was that vision of glory that sustained Moses to get that huge body of people, the children of Israel, to the border of the promised land. And then when we think of Elijah in this story, what's his story? What do we remember Elijah for? Remember Elijah, the flannel graph pictures in, the sun, in Sunday school, and the prophets of Baal, and, and all the, the meat and the sacrifice, and it being drenched with water. And Elijah calls down fire from heaven, and it comes down, and it, and it burns it up. And then he kills all the prophets of Baal which causes Jezebel to threaten him with his life. He's loyal to God, and hears somebody threatening him with his life. And he runs off on the run, depressed, discouraged, and probably on the verge of a breakdown. God comes, and God tells him to go up a mountain. And he goes up the mountain, and there's that lovely passage where it says, you know, the wind and the the earthquake and the fire but God wasn't in those then there was the sound of sheer silence and Elijah covers his face with his mantle as God passes by and it was that vision, that experience of glory that enabled Elijah to get up and go on and this as we see in this passage for what Jesus is preparing himself for this is Jesus' experience too. He is about to fear face his fiercest battle against all the powers of evil on the cross. It's not that he's put a few noses, Pharisees' noses out of joint and they want to get rid of him. He knows what's behind it all. And so he is given the remembrance of his pre-incarnate glory blazing within him. And he hears the voice of the Father confirming and encouraging him towards the Garden of Gethsemane, towards the cross. But then we ask, what about Peter and James and John? I mean, nothing at this point, nothing has happened to them. They are up this mountain. They don't know what has happened. They are terrified. They they are dazed. They are speechless. You know, when you just... Just no words will, will will explain it. They didn't know what was ahead of them. But the thing is, Jesus knew what the future held for them. And just in this same chapter, just before this, the transfiguration, Jesus has said to them that they would need to pick up their cross daily to follow him. And he says that those who lose their life for my sake Will save it. And then we read in Acts what happened. James is martyred. He's killed by the sword. And then when we go on and we read in Revelation, we read John's end. And John was exiled on uh, the island of Patmos. And he writes, Because of the testimony of Jesus. And it's not recorded in Scripture, but it is accepted church history that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. And the thing is, for us, Jesus knows that when any one of us identify with him and his kingdom, we become marked men and women. And so we enter into the same combat with the same enemy. And you know, we don't like to talk about it. And yet, did anybody watch Anthem Deck last night? Did anybody see it? Saturday Night Live, popular culture, everybody's watching it, and there we have the devil, we have hell, we have fire, we have talk about the eternal destiny of your soul. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, why does popular culture get to talk about these things? And at this point, my husband's looking at me going, here she goes, she's about to blow. I know, he can read the signs. But why does popular culture get to talk about these things? And yet, when we come into the church and we talk about the enemy, we talk about the devil, we talk about hell, it's like, shh, don't say that. I can't scare people. And I'm not saying that we we revel in this story. We need to think about the weird stuff. And we need to think about the weird stuff with tears in our eyes. But we need to talk about it. And from his own experience, Jesus knows that it's only a vision of the glory. It's only that vision of the promise that awaits us that will enable us to endure in this world. And these three disciples had caught that vision. They had seen this vision of Jesus and something was ignited within them that when all the world was stacked against them, they were loyal and they took the consequences. And after some years uh, of this event and before their death, they have left us these words. And in 2 Peter, it says, Peter says, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honour and glory from God the Father when that voice conveyed to him by the majestic glory. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven. It's a little bit like Peter saying, you know, we heard it. And then John says, What we what we will be has not yet been revealed. But what we do know is this, that when he is revealed, we will be like him because we will see him as he really is. We will see him the way the disciples saw him on that mountain. One day, one day, we will see his transfigured body in all its brilliance. Do you get that? Does it sink in? That's the promise that awaits us. We will be like him. And Paul puts it this way. He says, for this perishable body must put on imperishability. This mortal body must put on immortality. And the saying is written and it will be fulfilled. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? But then today in our culture, in this world, I was at a thing on Thursday and a gentleman was explaining a prayer of a very famous Christian. And it was along these lines, because this is the question, this is the crux that we need to ask. Are we too much in love with time that we have forgotten to dream of eternity? And I don't mean that, you know, are we too worldly? I'd, that's not what I'm talking about where it talks about um, being enemies and hating the world in, in the Bible, it's not, it's not that are we too much in love with time as in, are we too comfortable are we too happy here you know, if a bus pulled up outside right now and said, anybody wants to go to heaven what would you do would you say no, 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 on you, on you, on you go I, I'll get the next one I'll wait till next year you know, I've, I've got family down here. I've got things to do. You know, when you look at those, the desperation of, of the refugees trying to get onto those buses that you see in the news, You know, do we long for heaven like that? We, I, I've only learned a new, this is one of these new worship songs um, that the young ones probably know. It's called The Hymn of Heaven. And the first line of it says, I long to breathe the air of heaven. You know, do we? Or do we just sing it? Do we really long to go there? Would we go there right now to be with Jesus if we got the opportunity? You know, dark valleys will come to all of us in one shape or another. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and you have put a smile on your face and you've got yourself out to church, but in your heart, in your home, in your life outside of this Sunday morning, you are right in the middle of a dark valley. And we'll all go through dark valleys. My mommy will always say, you know, everybody gets their turn. It'll come to all of us. There will always be a question of compromise, of taking the the path of least resistance, where that'll seem the only way out to you. There will come a time when, as the Bible says, the enemy will strike. I read in Revelation this morning as part of my readings, I didn't know I was going to read it before I came here, that the devil goes out to make war on anybody who holds to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what are we going to do to enable us to endure, to enable us to do battle on our knees, to stand fast, to remain loyal to Jesus Christ? I mean, I'd often say, yes, I'm very religious, but I am religious about a person. I am religious about Jesus. It's about loyalty to a person, not loyalty to a church or loyalty to a denomination. It's loyalty to Jesus. And this is where in answer to those two questions, the Bible and knowing our Bibles and knowing that overarching story and where we fit, that's the foundation of our confidence, But it's the dazzling vision of a glorified Jesus that should be our prize. So Moses and Elijah, Peter, James and John, Jesus himself, they all needed in this world a vision of the glory. And so do we. And he has given us a big vision. He has given us a big book and he's given us a big gift in the Holy Spirit. We are not orphans. We are not ignorant. And he has given each of us a big responsibility. And that's where I say to you. That's why. That's why you need a big jumper. And so this morning I, I want. I've come to the end. And I want to finish with a clip from a movie. That has been going round and round in my head. Since I've been preparing this. Uh, now, when I mentioned this movie to my son, he hadn't, he hadn't heard of it, but it was one I grew up and watched in the, in the 90s. Um, and the long, and the, the, the long story short is that there is this young teacher who comes to this very stuffy, uh, posh boarding school, and he's very unorthodox. But what he does in these young boys, he ignites something. He ignites a, a vision for the way the world can be. He broadens their vision. He challenges them, you know, not to live passionate, passionless lives that just conform to the status quo. But the thing is, he gets the sack for this. And this scene that we're going to, it's two minutes, this scene from the movie is him into the classroom, collecting his books, and leaving the classroom for the last time. While there's a very serious, stuffy, old teacher taking the boys back to the way they used to do it and teaching them to conform, and he's teaching them in the class. But then some of the boys have the courage, and they want to honor this teacher that has ignited this passion in them. And a couple of them claim, Oh, captain, my captain. While the other teacher is going up and he's shouting at them, Sit down, sit down, gonna threaten them. And, he, and, and, and the, at the end of the scene, there's this picture where you see some of them stand and some of them don't stand. And it's a picture where, like, the enemy threatens us to car down, to keep quiet, to toe the world's line. Don't ruffle any feathers. Don't say anything that's going to upset any apple cart. Just keep your head down. Keep going. But it's only the vision. It's only the vision of Jesus that ignites this passion inside us that then we are, in this world, able to stand. And like in the words of that old hymn where it says, crown him as your captain, temptations are let his will enfold you in its truth and its power so we're going to listen watch the clip now I said to you my captain. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. you hear me? Sit down. Sit down. This is your final warning, Anderson. How dare you? you hear me? Who, Captain, my captain. Mr. Overstreet, I warned you. Sit down. Sit down! All of you! I want you to see it Sit down! Leave, Mr. Keating! If I say, "Do you want to bring a smile to the face of Jesus? Then hold his gaze. Hold that glorified Jesus' gaze and then stand. Let's, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story that it tells. We thank you that you invite us into this story that you have a a place for us and a role for us. Father, I pray that as we take hold of that, Lord, that we would hold in our hearts the vision of you glorified. Lord, that we would with joy await and be expectant and desire to be in your presence by your spirit. Lead us on and give us the courage to cry out, O Captain, my Captain. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.